You know, it's, uh, it's hard to believe, but we are wrapping up the season of Epiphany, uh, this season of Revelation, a time when Jesus reveals His Father and His kingdom. And as we do, we are also wrapping up this sermon series, God Revealed as well, a series that has allowed us to peer into the heart and the character of the Father by looking at Jesus. We have, as the writer to the Hebrews writes, fixed our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and the perfecter of our faith. Why? (laughs) Because as so many theologians have said, if you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. Listen to Jesus. Be with Jesus, and you will know the Father. Jesus himself says, if you know me, you will also know my Father. All that to say that God is revealed through the person and the work of Jesus. And what have we learned so far in this series? We've learned this, that God is good, that God is trustworthy, that God is holy. And today, today we learn that God is, well, more than meets the eye. You know, uh, growing up, there were two groups of people that mattered, Autobots and Decepticons. Now, some of you in the room have absolutely no idea what I'm talking about, and others of you are reliving your childhood dreams, tight-rolled jeans and all. Now, those of you who don't know, I need you to hold on for just a second and allow me to help you. For those of you who believe I'm speaking some kind of foreign language, all right? Autobots and Decepticons are two ethnicities of robots who are secretly living on Earth. Now, I say secret because they are hidden in plain sight. A yellow Camaro, an 18-wheel tractor trailer, an F-16 fighter jet, and my favorite, a boombox. Yep. You're welcome for that throwback. Again, those of you maybe in your MC Hammer pants are reliving this moment. You see, the Autobots, the Autobots and the Decepticons are fighting over humanity. And the Autobots are trying to protect humanity while the Decepticons are trying to lead it astray. Now, some of you, some of you might believe this premise is (laughs) far-fetched. However, it's closer to the scriptural narrative than most think. God rescuing humanity and the evil one trying to lead humanity astray. Now, for me, what was always fun about Transformers was the more than meets the eye truth What looks like a Camaro is a friendly robot named Bumblebee. In other words, what you see is not always what you get, or more to the point today, what you are is not always what you will be. Today, today we're going to see Jesus go all transformer. So, let's do this together. You're going to want to grab a Bible, either the one that you brought with you from home or one that's provided for you in the pew. And we're going to get to Mark 
chapter 9. Mark chapter 9, starting at verse 2. Mark chapter 9, that text we heard Mike read just moments ago. Mark, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9, starting at verse 2. Now, as you're getting there, just a bit of context. Just before this text, two important events. The first happens in Caesarea Philippi when Jesus asks the incredibly pointed question, who do people say that I am? And while most of the disciples, they hem and haw with answers provided by others, Peter finally speaks, you are the Messiah. Now, church, just so we're clear, the Messiah, that that is a loaded term. Peter is proclaiming Jesus to be God's anointed, the one who would usher in God's kingdom, the one who would set all things right, the one who would defeat Israel's enemy. To the best of their knowledge, God's anointed, the Messiah, is God's earthly king. The second event follows on the heels as Jesus explains the way that he will ascend the throne. As he explains the way that he will defeat the enemy. As he explains the way that he will usher in God's kingdom. And as he explains the way that he will make all things right. He says to the disciples, this is how it's going to work. By suffering. By being rejected by being killed, and by rising from the dead. Now, just so we're clear, this is not how an earthly king takes up a throne. Perhaps there is more than meets the eye. And so here we are, chapter 9, verse 2. Jesus taking Peter and James and John up a high mountain to be alone. Now, any quick survey of the Old Testament would reveal that, quote, important things happen on mountains, right? Burning bushes, Ten Commandments, the defeating of sort of foreign gods, you know. So so we shouldn't be surprised when we read then in verse 2, as the men watched... Jesus' appearance was transformed, and his clothes became dazzling white, far whiter than any earthly bleach could ever make them. And then Elijah and Moses appeared and began talking with Jesus. See, up to this point, for the disciples at least, it has been about an earthly kingdom, but not anymore. Peter, James, and John are all witness to the radical transformation of Jesus into something that is wholly other. He is both in the world, but not of it. Jesus, in this moment, he is far more than a man. He is the Word made flesh. He is the one who was with God in the beginning, the one through whom all things were made. They were made. <laughs> Jesus is transformed in front of these disciples, and they, they are allowed to see a glimpse of his full person, 
allowed to see a glimpse of his full authority, allowed to see a glimpse of his full power. They are allowed to see beyond the right now into the not yet. They are allowed to see what most scholars believe. They're allowed to see what is to come. They're allowed to see a life transformed beyond the one that we experience right now. No doubt, the three disciples are flabbergasted by what they see. I mean, we're told as much in verse 6. And so Peter, because it's, you know, it's, it's always Peter, he suggests, Rabbi, it's really good for us to be here. So let's put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Right? I, mean, I mean, why not, right? Let's, let's just stay here in all your Jesus glory. And who wouldn't, by the way, want to stay in all of that? I mean, if one's life has been filled with pain or with suffering, with heartache, with disappointment, with loss, who wouldn't want to stay in the place of transcendent glory? Who wouldn't want to stay in the place of the promise of something beyond this pain and this suffering and this heartache and this disappointment and this loss? You know, I know that many of us are looking to move beyond the frustrations of the world and the fractures of relationships and even the failures of our own personal lives. Lots of us long for something more than what we have. We long to be whole and perfected. We long for joy, for peace, for kindness. We long for love and faithfulness. In short, we long for the kingdom of God, and we long for God to transform us and the world. Friends, we long for transformation. And so, personally, I'm with Peter. <laughs> Like, let's stay in the Jesus glory. But here's what happens next, verse 7. It says, Then a cloud appeared, and it covered them. And a voice came from the cloud, This is my Son, whom I love. Listen to Him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. And as they were coming down the mountain... You know, as soon as Peter suggests that they stay in all of that Jesus glory, God the Father envelops them, and he points to his son Jesus, says, listen to him, and then sends them back down to the mountain, back down into their very messy and yet very ordinary lives. They are sent back into the world. 
So it begs the question, is God's transformative power only good for mountaintop experiences? Are we only to experience God's transformation in the ecstasy of religious hype, in in powerful moments of worship or prayer or service, or does God's transformative power extend into the humdrum of our ordinary lives? Does God's transformative power extend into the late night conversations with our spouse? into the tears falling in a car with kids after school? Does God's transformative power extend into dirty diapers and colicky nights? Is God's transformative power also meant for a life of of singleness or work layoffs or grumpy neighbors? You know, oftentimes, friends, when we read this text, we feel the disappointment of the disciples who aren't allowed to stay in that that transcendent glory. They're not allowed to stay in that that promise of what's to come. We, We feel the disappointment of the disciples as we're sent back down the mountain. We're so caught up in the disappointment of the moment that we often miss the obvious. So let us look at it again, the end of verse 7. God says, this is my son. Listen to him. And suddenly they looked around, and they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. The disciples, you and me, We head back down the mountain into our very ordinary lives with Jesus and with the command to listen to Him. We don't go back down the mountain alone. We go with Jesus, the one who reveals God's goodness and His trustworthiness and His holiness and, yes, his transformative power. We go with Jesus, or better yet, Jesus goes with us. (laughs) And friends, we have a gift. We get to listen to him. See, God's transformative power is not meant to stay on the mountaintops alone, in those places of religious ecstasy, of powerful moments of worship, of prayer, and of service. Those are good moments, moments when we're allowed to feel and experience and see the transcendent glory of Jesus, when we're allowed to soak in the promise of a world yet to come. that same transformative power comes back down the mountain in the words that Jesus speaks to you and to me. Again, if we were to take a survey of the Gospels, we would see this transformative power of Jesus in the everyday lives of everyday people. 
whether that was a, a person born blind, whether that was a, a person paralyzed and a roof cut open for Jesus to see, whether that was a woman with a reputation at a well in the middle of a day, whether that's at the grave of a dear friend Lazarus. A quick survey would see the transformative power of the kingdom in the everyday and ordinary lives of people. Some of us probably, and rightly so, we're saying, you know, Pastor, that sounds all good, powerful. But if we're honest, we're not witness to people rising from the dead. We're not witness to the blind suddenly being able to see. We're not witness to the paralyzed suddenly being able to dance. So maybe, maybe this transformative power was good for the time of Jesus, but not today. You know, I said moments before this text in Mark 9, two important events happened. One, that Jesus is called the Messiah, the one who would usher in God's kingdom, the one who would usher in His transformative power. But two, Jesus explains to the disciples how that transformative power would come to you and me, how it is He would ascend the throne, how it is He would make all things right. Jesus said it's going to happen through suffering, through rejection, through death, and through resurrection. See, the transformative power that God extends to you and me, He does as He labors in His breath and says, Father, forgive them. He does so as arms are stretched wide and a world forsakes Him. He brings His transformative power to you and me as insults are hurled at Him from a crowd. He brings that transformative power to you and me as He breathes His last, as He commits Himself into His Father's hands. And that transformative power, friends, it comes to you and me in the amazing good news of a Sunday morning when Jesus was nowhere to be found. Grave clothes neatly folded in a borrowed tomb. And the announcement of angels, he is risen. He is not here. This transformative power which transforms us, which takes the blindness caused by our own sin that we might see the world anew. 
when it takes us paralyzed by our own brokenness, he makes it so that we can dance in his grace. Or he takes those stories of shame and he brings freedom. Friends, we get to experience the transformative power of God, the grace that he extends to us at a table as he comes in bread and wine, his very body and blood for you again this day as he says, taste and see that your sins are forgiven. Know that I bring this transformative power today to you again. And then, and then he sends us back into our very ordinary, messy lives. Having had an experience like Peter, James, and John, where God transforms our hearts and our lives. And you're right, there aren't a lot of paralyzed people beginning to dance and blind people beginning to see. There are parents who, for the first time in their lives, are praying with their kids. And that's transformative power, too. There are spouses saying, I forgive you. And that's transformative, too. There are sisters and brothers endeavoring to be conformed to the image of Jesus and allowing God to prune away the parts of their lives that are unfruitful for his kingdom. And though that is painful, that is transformative too. See, friends, you are designed to be more than you are in this moment. You are, at least from God's perspective, more than meets the eye. God is in the process today and every day, at least until we see him face to face, of transforming you and me into the image of Jesus. And so, like Peter and James and John, we, we head back down the mountain knowing that God is good, that he is trustworthy, that he is holy, and he is transformative. And in these days, and every day until we see him, he will be working that transformative power in you and me to his glory. Until finally, with unveiled face, as St. Paul would say, we get to see Jesus face to face, fully human, without tear, without stain, there dancing in the kingdom with Jesus. And so until that day, May God, by his spirit, lead us to be with Jesus and to listen to him. In Jesus' powerful name, amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all human understanding, may guard and keep our hearts in Christ Jesus today and every day. Amen.